Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 76, recorded on Wednesday, April 19th, 2017. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and with me is my uh, steadfast co-host, David Estrella. David Estrella, at sign QX20XX. And this time we've got a guest, Josh Dunham. You may know him from Wave Motion Cannon and Senpai Coast to Coast. He is a uh, sort of... uh, I don't know if I'd say international anime man of mystery, but uh, certainly a national <laughs> anime man of mystery. <laughs> that's not impressive at all. <laughs> I don't know how international. I, I uh, that sounded mean, but uh, welcome to the show, Josh. Yeah, no, thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be. It's. I want to say it's a little bit weird having listened to Anna Gamers for a good portion of uh, my anime life, my international, oh, wow. my national. Whoa. Oh wow. Maybe international anime life. <laughs> national life. My national anime life. And it's like, okay, now I'm on the show I've been listening to for what feels like a lot longer than probably is is the reality of things, you know, because internet years are like dog years, you know, they pass by much, much quicker. But uh, I will say, like, it's a surreal feeling. I really want to thank both of you guys having me on. This is uh, this already feels good. And we're like 30 seconds into the recording. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm a little, <laughs> so I'm a little the- starstruck already. <laughs> We got we got a guest yeah, who's I, listened to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so like the thing is, if you listen to us for long enough, you probably know that we're we don't have that many listeners, and so we still like are are like about as starstruck when we meet someone who listens to the show as they are when they meet us. Uh, so that's cool. I didn't realize that you had like listened to the show for that long. But yeah, I mean, you do some really cool stuff over at Wave Motion Cannon uh, and and at Senpai Coast to Coast. But I mean, yeah, I feel like I feel like there's maybe a sort of uh, sort of like like sibling websites in a way in some if if I can put it that way between Wave Motion Cannon and Andy Gamers. And in fact, I think we share. Does Jared writes for you guys too? Yeah, yeah, we share yeah. a little bit of a staff overlap there. So we're a little little related. We're like cousins, maybe. It's like it's like that. That family member is like, oh, wait, you also like anime. It's like, you know, he's probably like some <laughs> other cousin from like that third uncle. It's like, I, I know you. You're really cool. We share that one dude. That's right. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm really feeling the good family vibes over here. Yeah, that's that people. That's what people come to our, our show for, I think, is good family vibes. And the ribs. Uh, just, yeah, the yeah, that's why ribs. they listen to episode, episode 69 for all those good family <laughs> vibes that we bring. <laughs> so for this episode, we're going to go through what we've been uh, watching, reading, and playing, and uh, talk about a little bit of news. And then our main attraction, David and Josh are going to talk about Kizumonogatari, and I'm going to heckle them with dumb questions, because I haven't seen the movies yet. Like a total nerd. Yeah, that's me, the nerd who doesn't go watch the anime movies in the theaters. Nerd who watched your name in theaters four times, and they were both, well, they weren't both, they were all the English dub. All right, so uh, so let's just start off with, you know, what we've been up to lately. Josh, what have you been watching or playing? Or playing um, or reading? Yeah, so I guess to take it from the top and to start with the anime, obviously a new season is upon us, so one of the things I've been kind of trying to do, uh, we gave up doing our weekly uh what you who's their coverage for a couple shows or whatnot just weren't panning out so i'm like you know what i'm gonna trudge on be the soldier i'm gonna watch a bunch of shows and uh i learned something from a meme on the internet and i never thought i'd say that out loud but now it's recorded um (laughs) you can never watch bad anime if you only watch the sakuga scenes and so what I've been doing is oh, trying to watch boy. all these different anime just for the Sakuga. It's like, I hate Attack on Titan. If people know I hate Attack on Titan. I'm watching it, 
but just for the Sakuga. <laughs> it's like, oh, that looked pretty. Let's well, talk about this. Yeah, that's a real sacrifice. Like that's almost. Yeah, I feel like that's almost the reverse. It's like you end up watching a ton of bad anime because you're just watching it for the Sakuga <laughs> bits. Might be true. Uh, but like, I mean, I feel like the real the real power move is to just only watch clips on Sakuga Boru. That's sort of that's, what I've it's evolved essentially, to. It's it's the like, new, don't even watch the that, show. That's the, new, that's the new way to just watch anime these days. Essentially, just post a GIF online. and yeah, right. I mean, that's right. the episode right there. Well, for some anime, yeah. that is explicitly true. But I feel like doing that, like, I totally had that mentality. Let's just watch a GIF and just, like, examine the animation. But right. sometimes I, I really learned it's the timing of when that animation happens, too, that can really matter. Because anime is oh, such... You mean, like, narratively? Like, where it where it sits in the story? Yeah, because you have you're trying to produce something on such a low budget, right? So whenever you have something that's super outstanding, it matters, and it matters even more mm-hmm. in context. Especially, like for example, you know, um, if you're watching, um, I, I see it later on the list here, so I'm going to kind of bring it up. If you're watching Full Metal Alchemist <laughs> Brotherhood episode 19, and you get that Kameda cut where he's sitting there like just burning the crap out of lust like that matters for more than one reason like it not only looks good but to the story makes a huge impact it's just like that that is like the epitome of sakuga like it's it's that's the pinnacle right there yeah i uh somebody actually might have been on your site it might have been an article from like tamerlane that that put it this way uh but I i think it's really accurate to say that like what what people call sakuga scenes which david and i have sort of complained about the terminology here before are the equivalent of like a guitar solo where they they stick out as this kind of you know like a like this solo performance from somebody which is like you know most shots are kind of solo but they're like a you know particularly noticeable bit from some particular animator that stands out and yeah like if you just had that it wouldn't stand out it would like you know if you had a song that was all guitar solos that could be interesting (laughs) in its own way but it doesn't have the same kind of contrast that is true yeah yeah, so you've been watching Attack on Titan, I guess, which I've also, I watched the first episode, and it's like, well, it's more of the same silliness that I was kind of not into to begin with. Yeah, very much that. Very, very much that. Although Boruto, I know everyone's really? like... It's got a burger. I know that. Oh, burger as a weapon. Oh, I, I haven't <laughs> watched it yet. I'm, I'm just so behind on everything, uh, but I don't actually, like, in the same way that you're watching for the Sakuga, like, when I finally watch this stuff, I will be exclusively watching for the hamburgers. <laughs> so, that's right yeah, yeah. Dude, evan, i'm surprised yeah. you haven't already seen that i totally forgot about the whole no, hamburger evan, thing. evan's our resident hamburger sakuga fan yeah it doesn't have to be like sakuga even a poorly animated hamburger is still a beautiful anime hamburger <laughs> yeah no like boruto has actually been pretty good there's been and actually there's been some really good animation in that too so Who's the? What's the studio doing that? Is it the same? Is it Piero? Yes, yeah, still, still to the studio yeah. Piero. Yeah, and they kept a lot of. Well, as of what I can see, and I, I'm not like a Studio Piero pro by any means, even though it's one of my favorite studios. But um, they kept a lot of the same staff from Naruto, and Naruto staff was getting really, really tight towards the end there. Like really good stuff. Like the only thing they could do to make it better is like bring back uh, one of my favorite animes, Atsushi Wakabayashi, and like. Man, it would be basically just like the Yu Hakusho staff jumping mm. on to Naruto, and then I'd be okay. I'm in heaven. Let's do this. But I'll take what I can get. I, I feel like if I watch Boruto, I'm gonna like break my illusion that it's actually about Bolt the dog from that movie. <laughs> oh no! Uh, Why would you like bring that up? Of, 
I think Victoria made a joke about that once, and that was all I could think about was that it was that like electric dog from that whatever DreamWorks movie or something. Voiced by John Travolta. <laughs> it might have been. I can't wait for like Funimation to dub Naruto or something. It's John Travolta. As... Yeah, John Travolta as Boruto. Oh man! No, no. What would, if John Travolta actually... was like adult Naruto as like the Hokage? Yo, he, he's actually oh, so good. like yeah. John Travolta is actually just doing dad roles now. So Naruto would be a good that'd be a good uh, entry into anime dads. Well, yeah, and I think everybody knows that like John Travolta, like most actors, is really itching to get into the anime scene because that's like where the money's at. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if 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 you, if you want to make a movie that costs one hundred and ten million dollars to make and then uh, make back like roughly half of it, including international sales, despite having Scarlett Johansson, anime is the place to be. <laughs> oh, I feel like this is a reference to something recent. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Is it your name? Oh, it's on it's the... your name, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah your that's name. the one. That's, that's the one. It. Yeah, I, or was it her? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty. That's the adaptation of Serial Experiments Lane, right? <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> oh lordy. Uh, so you're also you're also playing Persona, Josh. Mm, Persona Five, like the uh, the other half of the internet. You playing that on PS3 or PS4? I picked up a PS4 because mm. I I don't play anything on PS3 anymore, and it just it kind of made sense. Um, I, and also I was kind of afraid because they were doing like, I heard it was originally developed for the PS3, but at the same time, I was just like, how in the hell would this not run better on PS4? Um, not that I think it would run bad, but I was still like in the back of my mind, kind of skittish. Like for example, you know, MGS5 came out and it was also on three and four and I picked it up on PS3 because I hadn't, I didn't pick up a four. And uh, I instantly regret it. It's like, oh, man, these frame rate drops, you know. And yeah. I'm not even playing a fighting game. I complain about you know, frame rate drops. But but then yeah. stuff like Persona, I don't really imagine just how insane the, the graphics can get. Like, sure, they get a little bit stylistic, but they're not taxing, like, I think, like, in the way something like Metal Gear Solid Five would be. Well, I was worried, like, if I remember, if my memory recalls correctly, which it may not, but, like, some of those battles when you're, like, trying to do multi-knockdown, weakness hits, you know, like, it can get, like, a little laggy, like, in P- I think it was Persona 3 or something like that. Um, like, sometimes there can be a little bit much going on, but at the same time, I didn't know how involved some of these cityscapes are going to be. Like, they advertise, uh-huh. oh, yeah, I'd be walking through Shinjuku. And I didn't pay attention to any of the Japanese release, so I've been, like, complete head in the sand. I don't even know the name of all the characters or the party members. I don't even know <laughs> who all the party members are. But, yeah, no, P5 has been pretty good. Um, I really like a lot of the mechanics. I I feel like Mona tells me to go to bed way too much. And, you know, as much as that is a joke, like... One of the things I loved about Persona was being able to go out and, like, have a nightlife and try and build these social links and try and, you know, and I just feel like this game, it's, like, super, super restrictive. I overgrind the first time I enter a dungeon, just grind, grind, grind until I have nothing. And then I go back, sell all my stuff, buy more stuff, okay, and go back and boom, just one shot straight through the whole dungeon and then come back later, right? So I spend, like, three days in the dungeon, three in-game days on in the dungeon, um, and then I have maybe, like, you know, spare two weeks to go and build social links or you know work on my stats but i feel like i'm constantly under the knife with persona 5 and i always feel like there's some useless text to read like i don't give a shit about why you're texting on my phone i know we need to go into you know um mementos or this palace place you know i i I know like 
I just wish the game could kind of give me a little bit more freedom to kind of guide that. Mm. I mean, there's so many girls and there's so many good girls in this game. Like, <laughs> like Persona 4 is like, I'm going to be the guy everyone's going to hate on this podcast. So I'm just fair warning. But like, I liked Yukiko. So it's like, okay, Ooh. let me romance Yukiko. Mm. Let me build a, a, a relationship with Chie and then Risei and whatever, right? But Yukiko. like Persona 3 is like, uh, I was a Mitsuru fan. So it's just, okay, just go for Mitsuru, right? And that's it. But like Persona 5, it's like all these girls are perfect. Like <laughs> this is better than like whatever idol anime you can come up with. Like the sexy. That's Dang, a platonic that... anime ideal. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm like sitting here. It's like, man, 2D is just so much better. Oh, man. Well, even though this I'm game glad... is rendered in 3D, but. I'm glad you're on board for the kizu podcast because i wouldn't be able to do this sort of thing with evan if he didn't like because evan evan doesn't believe in 2d and yeah. by extension i don't think he believes in sex either so it's like it would be weird for me <laughs> wait to... a sec wait a sec you can't tie those up like that no i think he can it's scientifically proven because <laughs> it's not real right uh <laughs> wait are you talking wait, about the sex um, or 2d <laughs> what two so so 2d sex is 2d sex isn't real but how how are you gonna how are you gonna tie? What's your theoretical basis for tying that to the 3D sex? So if you real. watch the last episode of Space Dandy, where they start make mixing all the different dimensions and stuff, it actually uh -huh. builds a perfect framework for how 2D sex is possible. Dang, is this like this is real? Is this what Carl from Ogue Maniacs is working on for his doctorate <laughs> thesis? I don't know. <laughs> it's like how Space Dandy proves that 2D sex is possible. It's well, I mean. Both possible and necessary. Okay, yeah. Now, see, that's All that's right. a thesis that's that's worth proving right there. That's that's going to be a scientific. It's, uh, yeah, like his, the the new political platform is uh, mandatory two D sex, mandatory two D marriage. What color would that flag be? That way, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be like a color per se. It would just be a mosaic yeah. out flag. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just a skin yeah. tone mosaic. It's a skin tone mosaic. <laughs> skin tone. <laughs> With yeah, you can have the black and black lines over there. Speed lines like in a manga or some shit like that, and be like, man. Well, it's great too because it can also be anti-fascist at the same time because it can have like diagonal lines. <laughs> this uh, is perfect. Two D love. Yeah. Two D love conquers fascism. I'm already on board with this movement. Yeah, this is good. Uh, I'm. I'm. I mean, I Evan guess I'm on board the, with the, the anti-fascism part. <laughs> so sure, two D love. It's fine as long as it fights fascism. That's my official Evan political opinion here. Uh, <laughs> 2018 can't come fast enough. Put this man in Congress. So I don't really, I don't know. I feel like I don't really have you a transition You don't have a transition there, so I'll probably just cut this all out. There, there is no yeah, this, transition to 2D love. Like once you go to 2D love, there's no coming back. Shit. Like, no transition. So speaking of just having way too many people to bang, I'm still playing The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, Somehow he's still and, playing it. And uh, yeah, I've, did we talk about that on, on the podcast before that like just in every single, I think we did, like in every town you go to, there's somebody who wants to bang Link. And it's like, it's still I, true I as I find more it. places. Like there's, so there's the bit where you dress up as a, a woman, which has got its own little, like, it, it's a little weird. It's a little like kind of, kind of transphobic, but uh, there you dress up as a woman and then like Link is apparently, he's like, he's like a reverse Oscar from Rose of Versailles. Where, like, everybody wants to bang him when he's a dude, and then when he dresses up as a girl, like, everybody still wants to bang him. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's it's still really good. I don't know why you stopped playing, David, because well, there's, no, like, like I had so many play... hours of stuff to do. I had to go 
play near so that I can play near uh, near uh, tomatoes. So you know, <laughs> like that's another banging game. Like I played exactly one hour of it yesterday, and I would have played way more of it, but I got to record the podcast tonight. So that damn podcast, the goddamn podcast. I know, you know, only because it's the Keys of Monogatari podcast. That's the only reason why. That's how I keep you going. It's just by promising the Kizu podcast and also promising a Mother 3 podcast that we didn't do. Uh, <laughs> string you along. String me up more like. I didn't really come here with like a story about what I did in Zelda in these past two Could weeks. Did you even uh, like try to beat it at all? <laughs> that's the thing. Is I, so I'm, I'm finally in the, uh, the Gerudo Divine Beast. So the, the fourth dungeon for me because uh, I finished all the other ones. I was just doing a lot of exploration. Did you did you ever figure out how to fight guardians, David? We talked about this a little bit. Figure out how to? Like, yeah. is there like a one shot kill way? Because they were all really easy. Wait. Yeah. I I literally okay. did spin to win to beat that guy. So did you not find like the ancient tech lab where you get the like guardian armor and stuff? There was a side quest involved with it, so I didn't do it. <laughs> This is what I mean. It's like you missed all the stuff. There's a whole like set. There's a whole store where you can go buy special equipment that gives you like extra resistance against guardians. I didn't need it. And like special weapons why, to fight. Why them. would I need it when I could just go to the cold place and kill all like the 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 animals and get all the raw prime meat and then just make some meat skewers that fully recover my health? I feel like selling meat skewers is also not the most efficient way. It's the way most to get efficient money. way. Shut up. You played this game so wrong. Like, everything you <laughs> how, was if wrong. I played it so wrong, how come I beat it last month? All right. Uh, because it's about the journey, David. It's not about the destination. Hey, it's not, hey, about, not about getting to hey, okay, so It's about the friends that you bang along the way. That sounds like Final Fantasy XV. Uh, do you bang a bunch of people on the way? And I guess the, all the boys. The boys bang. I thought, right? I thought all those boys were uh, voluntarily celibate. Oh, are they Volcel? Is Final Fantasy? Final Fantasy is pretty Volcel to me. Is is that is that headcanon or is that? I feel like that's just the uh, truth. You never see anybody bang in the Final Fantasy game. I don't know, Luna Freya. Like, <laughs> Wait a second, you like... never see anybody bang in most video games, David. <laughs> yeah, this not, most games don't have like a hot coffee thing going on. My imagination just doesn't fire up for Final Fantasy. Nah, man. Like Final Fantasy fifteen, there was our uh, what's her name, Aramea. And freaking Luna Freya, like that game's almost as good as Persona, except like not even close. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite way to review things. Uh, speaking of Full Metal Alchemist, the original is almost as good as Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, except not even anywhere remotely close. <laughs> Was that a transition? Uh, I finally finished watching Brotherhood. <laughs> that's yeah. That's listen. I got the good transitions here, and I make them better by stopping to talk about them. Uh, so, yeah, I finished Brotherhood after, like, a year and a bunch of people yelling at me to finally finish watching it. And I might have mentioned this previously, but the thing I keep telling people is, like, the f the first 13 episodes of Brotherhood are kind of, like, just a poorly paced version of the original series or, of like, the beginning of the original series. But once it hits, like, episode 13, basically, like, basically right around at that point, which I think is, like, to not spoil too much... But for people who've seen it, what I'm talking about is like the basically the Mustang lust fight is kind of like where I that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is like this is really, really good. This is way, way better than the original. Uh, and it's partially it's just like way more ambitious. It's got so many more like different characters and plot lines that are moving around independently of each other. Reminds me actually a bit of like Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire in that sense. 
because it just sort of splits off into all these side stories and like pulls them back together and and a lot of that just like it builds a lot of really rich themes and interactions in this so like giant cast then. of characters does that mean edward elric is like Tyrion lannister <laughs> oh i wasn't going to try to map this directly but uh he can't, he is yeah i guess because of the because sh- of the short thing i suppose so there you go Blonde i guess hair, that's where you're going with that he's like oh man my mom is always gone and uh <laughs> both end up killing their dads yeah, so game of thrones so. is just american full metal alchemist uh s- sort of i don't know he doesn't exactly end up killing his dad uh Right? Not really. I don't know. I, I never I never made it past like when they went up to the wall. Holy shit, this is Game of Thrones. Holy shit. No, no crap. I was gonna say I was gonna say the wall, I mean the wall is a bit of a universal theme, right? The idea of this like wall holding off like some sort of right. horde of other people. But I feel like there's this connection of like the wall also being like in the north, right? And like there being this special set of soldiers who's who are in charge of manning it. Like I kinda wanna interview Arakawa now and ask like Okay, were you reading A Song of Ice and Fire when you made this? <laughs> it's like Game of Thrones, Jessica. Yeah. I mean, she, it, it, the books would have been out. I think like A Song yeah, the books uh, would, Storm the books of Swords would have been out at the time. Yeah. So it would, it would have been relatively contemporary. And if it were translated in Japanese at the time, it's not wouldn't be surprising if she had read it, if she's like a fantasy fan. So that's interesting. That is possible. I know the first book came out back in the 90s. So I don't know yeah. when it was translated, but I mean, like, the whole idea of the wall in the north and everything, like, that that could totally, completely be that kind of, yeah. And how about you, David? What have you been up to? Uh, well, I gotta give a special shout-out to Elliot Page for getting me onto Bookwalker. They had a Easter sale. Elliot Page, former Anagamers yeah. writer. They had a they had an Easter sale, and I ended up winning a 50% off coupon, like, anything I'd buy in one purchase. So... I bought... How much porn? I bought like 30 books. How many of them were porn? Uh, was book called sell porn? I don't know. Like one of them was kind of really porny. Uh, so there's this manga called Murcielago, which is about a psychotic lesbian serial killer. Uh, and okay. so she's working for the government to kill worse serial killers. I got Blame from the uh, Knights of Sidonia guy, which is... Oh, that's okay. a yeah, really yeah. That's a really weird manga. I'm really enjoying it, but it's extremely uh, different. Uh, I got all of the Nodame Cantabile. I don't know how to pronounce that. Cantable. Cantable. There's no ble, It's Leviosa. What language is this? This isn't even Japanese anymore. I think it's Italian. Cantable. Nodame Cantable. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. (laughs) You're not allowed to do that. I got a Galko-chan. And oh no! Yeah, no. Gaku Chan is really funny. That's really good because it's like it's basically just two girls picking on one girl who just does not deserve it at all because she's actually really nice. And yeah, every joke in there is just a sex joke. So it's pretty cool. I didn't really like the <laughs> anime when I saw it. I, didn't, I just didn't think it was that funny. It wasn't that I was offended by it. In case you were going to ask were, that, were you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was a little late. In the- <laughs> I wasn't. No, no. I was like whatever. But it just—I didn't think it was very funny. It was just sort of like it was just gross-out comedy where like the whole point is just think, to say things outrageous. Yeah. But like I didn't think that was very funny. Kind of. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Know. I like it because the presentation is really nice. Cause it's all in color. It's like it, it mm. does like a, a different sort of take on the. Um, the four panel gag manga style where it's like i mean that's like simple black and white and you just get the color uh, the characters and this is like that kind of like that kind of setup but they'll do like full page spreads and they'll do like the 
like a question and answer format where there's like there's a question and then the answer is basically these girls having a conversation like revealing like <laughs> deeply oh, personal okay. stuff about themselves and it's all drawn like it's drawn in like crayola uh colored pencils which is kind of kind of funny because it almost looks like comics that somebody might have drawn in high school so like that's like the whole thing i like oh, i really like the presentation okay. for the uh for like the manga. It, it feels like something someone scribbled in the margins of their yeah. notebook or something yeah so yeah. i thought that was pretty cool so huh. that's cool like i've they've also got light novels so like i wouldn't really like try to go for a light novel but i think if i spent like only four dollars on it i would grab a few i don't know bookwalker seems pretty pretty neat seems i I definitely don't have any room in my shelves anymore, so I have to go. Right. I got to go digital now. Yeah, Bookwalker's a Kadokawa ebook store thing, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I app, the app is definitely like somebody made that seven years ago or whenever and just never really took any modern design philosophies or like really any. It, it's, a, it's, it's Japanese software. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely oh, Japanese boy. software. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see also open tunes. Ooh, the worst. The absolute so you worst. Get, like in the margins, Leonardo DiCaprio trying to sell me credit cards. What? Wait, you haven't seen those commercials? No, I don't know what that is. Leonardo DiCaprio. Is this a I think fake called, Grand Order reference? Is like Orico or something like that. It's like he did these Japanese commercials for credit cards, <laughs> and he'd be like chasing some bad guy, and the bad guy would like fall over into this watermelon stand and like break the stand and all the watermelons, and they'd be like, "Oh no, my watermelons!" And then he'd be like, "Orico, you take Orico," and he'd like pay for it or whatever, and then like save the day. Oh wow! I think was, oh man! This is, yes, this is a deep credit card right saves the day again. Credit cards that's, have that's, never that's... saved my day, but I mean. Huh. You know, you, know, you know what's great about that? That's actually basically the plot of Zaizen Jotaro, the anime about the guy with the unlimited credit card. So so speaking of uh, super-powered credit card weed crap, uh, Fate Grand Order is getting... <laughs> it's getting an English localization coming up this summer. That's, an, that's, a, that's a reverse unlimited credit card. That's like... That's unlimited withdrawals from your customer's credit card. Yeah. The credit is the bone of my sword. Yep. <laughs> and it's going to it's going to be the, the a major bone in uh everybody else's uh credit card. Well, yeah. What? What's big, the big what bone am I doing in your here? Wallet. What? I think that's what you're going what for. What bit bone am I doing here? <laughs> no, so the bit that I'm doing here actually is to reveal to everybody that Fate Grand Order is coming out. Uh, in summer, allegedly, and you're going to be able to play it in English, and there's going to be exclusive servants just for Americans, and as somebody with maybe a year and not even a year, it'll be like half a year by the time summer rolls in. I got like a half year investment and a few hundred dollars already put into the Japanese edition, so it doesn't make any difference to me, because I have already dumped like... $50 yesterday in this stupid game and I didn't get anything in the current event. So, I'm pretty I'm pretty burnt on the on the Fate Grand Order. I'm taking up the Starlight stage again. I got a I got a super super rare in the Starlight stage. So, that's my new best friend right now. All right, guys. Uh now that it's coming out in America, Fate Grand Order, uh let's let's play this game again. Uh what are the new servants going to be? The American specific <laughs> servants in the U.S. version of Fate Grand Order. What's... This sounds like a trap question. Okay. Okay. Uh... What, what do you What do you think? What are we guessing here? 
Uh, definitely Uncle Sam, born Uncle in Sam Troy, sure. New York. From Troy, New York. <laughs> Do you think we'll get like Colonel Sanders? Colonel Sanders would be excellent. That's very like yes. Japanese. The Hamburglar. Uh, the Hamburglar, Johnny Appleseed, uh, George Washington. What class are they though? Teddy, what class? Teddy the Hamburglar is absolutely an assa- uh, an assassin. Assassin, yeah, 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 because he's a thief, right, right, right. He's stealthy. Um, I think George Washington is like a, a rider. No, rider I want to see a berserker. I want to see a berserker George Washington just like swinging, <laughs> swinging the axe and chopping up all the cherry trees. <laughs> just a really just hulked out George Washington. I don't think we've got that yet. Um, Mormon Jesus. Mormon Jesus. So Mormon Jesus be could be like servant. the ruler or the Avenger kind of class because <laughs> right. you could have evil Mormon Jesus. Evil Mormon Jesus. Oh, okay, okay. No, so here's another question: Which one of these are girls, and which one are going to retain their maleness? I think I think Jesus Mormon better Jesus be should a be a girl. girl. Mormon yeah. Jesus yeah, yeah, is yeah. a girl. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And they call her Mo Chan. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh my god! Well, like uh, Ronald McDonald, a hundred percent, right? Like you were already going for McDonald's characters. Are like, we just having like a fast food themed uh, American yeah. release? Because like, Ronald Ronald McDonald is a berserker, though, for sure. Mm, I would kind of like to right? see like Leonardo DiCaprio, Obama. <laughs> they're they're not Obama even dead yet. <laughs> Obama, absolutely. Oh my god. Oh, are, uh, are we gonna have our first like living? Is that a rule? They have to all be dead. Well, because they're like heroic spirits that like they die, but they've got a second chance to live. Like it's all in the story. Cause, I'm like... sure Obama has died inside. I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay, so I don't know. We can just retcon all of like the original story and just say, okay, people that are still alive have the opportunity to be servants in this stupid smartphone game. Oh, 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 oh! I got one. I got one. I got one. Okay, okay. The, the Roswell alien. Like he's not American, <laughs> but. I think it's a girl. It's a girl. I, I think yeah, we definitely need an alien in uh, in fate because oh, we don't yeah. we don't have one yet. So wait, if there's a Roswell alien, can it be like Gojuichi? Is that his name? Uh, her name? It's Gojuichi. Goju who? Oh, that's good. That's good. Gojuichi. Oh right yes, now, yes. Like Fifty one. Yes. I think that's yeah. That's uh, that's a pretty good list. I think we we pretty much predicted all of them. At least that's the first round of uh, of U.S. servants. Do you have any can- Canadian ones? <laughs> Oh well, yeah, actually. So that we we only limited to North America is probably going to be available in all the Americas. Nickelback, Avril Lavigne. <laughs> Wait, so we're just doing Canadian music. Nickelback and Avril Lavigne would be pretty good, uh, but they're both gender. It's not like you can do Canadian fast food. I mean, come on now. Tim Horton. <laughs> the actual Tim Horton. Wait, wait, I got a really good one though. Like Nickelback, but it's the guy from Nickelback, but his servant name is Nickelback. <laughs> It's not Chad Kruger. He's just called Nickelback. Like the rest of the band isn't there. Or the rest of the band is his noble fats fantastic. <laughs> it's like through the ages, like people have forgotten the name of that guy from Nickelback and they just know him as Nickelback. Well, that's, that's absolutely like a fate style story right there. <laughs> Honestly, like, cause like there's like the Macklemore guy, right? But I don't remember what the other guy is. I just know them as Macklemore. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he's named Macklemore. Similar thing, but he's he's like an enemy to Nickelback. Well, they're not. They're, well, that's, that's that's pretty good. They're, they're, okay, yeah. yeah. So like Macklemore v Nickelback, and Nickelback is totally a Sundari girl. Gender swap that, right? So, yeah, and Avril, Avril Lavigne is a guy. It's got to be you got to gender swap both both 
Nickelback and Avril Lavigne. I was thinking Avril Lavigne is probably better off as like something knocking off Hello Kitty. So it's, oh. you know, kind of like a Teddy from Persona 4 type mascot <laughs> character. It just Actually, wait, like that reminds leaf. me. Just just Ted, like that stupid teddy bear movie, <laughs> can be a servant. That was pretty, That's probably, pretty popular yeah. in Japan, right? <laughs> it's really popular in Japan. So. Okay, okay. It's that well, from what's his name? It's the Family Guy guy who I'm uh, forgetting. Seth he's, he's one of the Seth yeah. McSomething. Seth MacFarlane. There's too many. There's a bunch of people with similar names, and I get them confused all the time. Isn't Seth MacFarlane the guy that made Spawn? That's what I always confuse. Wait, <laughs> That's holy, why I holy shit! Wait, T- Todd McFarlane? I don't. I... Yeah, it's, it's Todd McFarlane. <laughs> Todd McFarlane. This is like this is like the fact that like Neil Patrick Harris is the science guy, and Neil deGrasse Tyson is the guy from How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. We've we've uh, this this bit has gone on too long, but it's 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 still pretty good. Uh, I think it's time uh, it, it's time to move on. これでキスショットはセロラオリオンハートアンダーブレードが失っていたパーツはすべて取り戻した。これで君は人間に戻れるというわけだ。わしの元に帰る。わしと共に生きよ。今後キスショットが人間を食べれば、それは全て僕の責任だ。人間に戻るのは諦めるの。原田君は人間を諦めたの。じゃん。ウヌには退屈させられる。十五キロ。キンキン
Um, not to mention it is literally about the emotions that one youth goes through on kind of a, a search for humanity, but not, I guess it's maybe a little bit of a harsh way to put it, like a search for humanity in the way of maybe coming of age, you know, you're trying to find out maybe what you need or what you want out of life type thing. And he goes on this mini adventure, more of a spiritual journey than anything else. Uh, obviously, I'm speaking about Araragi, the main character, um, who meets a vampire and ends up becoming part vampire and has to get back these limbs for said vampire so that way he can return to being human. And hijinks and antics ensue, and that's kind of where the story comes from. I'm sure we'll get into the nitty-gritty there, but I mean... But, oh it's... boy. Like, I feel like our words could never really describe the sort of emotional <laughs> impact that uh, that these films have just dropped down. Because, like, I... Like one and two, okay, but three, three just kind of floored me. Like that was, that was an experience. So uh, I, I'll say, as somebody who has not watched much of this uh, franchise as a whole, I've seen one episode of Bakemonogatari. The definitely the intimidating thing, like coming into to, or I didn't watch Kizu, but sort of like seeing the chatter about Kizu is just like. It's a big franchise. It's it's got a lot of different pieces to it, and it's like, well, right. where, where does this start? Where does this end? Like, what? You know, where's the place to makes, jump in? It makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know because maybe I've just been paying attention to this thing like since uh, since the first anime started airing. So, Kizumonatari is essentially just chronologically the first story in the whole franchise. Now. In America, they're releasing the books from Kizumonogatari onwards, while in Japan, Bakumonogatari was the first book, and then they went. And these are these are light novels. The, yeah. yeah, these are light novels. Although the content is often anything but light. Well, right. There's some debate about that in in some communities because supposedly, and this is me kind of like this is what I read on the internet. Um, some people in Japan kind of consider these actually just novels, although. It's very much written in a light novel style. Yeah, yeah, no, it's funny that you said that because I've actually, well, so I don't know. It often it often feels like just maybe semantics, but the when Kizumonatari Part 1 came out in Japan, they did a special release for it, which I've got here. So this is basically just a novel for whatever reason. Like just, it's like, because it's a hardcover and because it's got a paper, like a like a dust jacket on it, they would consider it more like a novel. Like I spoke to somebody over there about it, and like, oh, it's literally just the physical publication. Yeah, I brought up the question where it's like, okay, so like this thing, just on the basis of where it's shelved and how it was manufactured, like they wanted to push it out more as like a novel than as a as a light novel, just because. It, Trying to distinguish between what's a light novel and what's an actual novel is in some ways becoming kind of a gray area. Well, I think it's it's largely like a marketing thing, yeah. right? It's just about how it's sold. But I think it, it does tend to imply a certain... Like, it's like, my impression, and as someone who's only read a handful of light novels and, like, Japanese novels, is that it, like, implies it's basically, like, YA fiction. It's not super... Yeah. Yeah, well, like a, yeah, it's a, easier. More Japanese specific version of that, more like anime centric, yeah, right? Like sci fi stuff. It's easier to just fit it in there because even even when you think about it in Japan, like in, you know, not maybe maybe in like more intelligent terms when it's not like 
you're you're just saying like oh all light novels are about sisters and like video game worlds and all this other like nerd stuff right. that you know it it does follow the uh that sort of format like everywhere it goes but then you know in in japan it might be just like okay well it's called a light novel because there is like a certain image to it like there's hmm. Uh, there's one illustration inside of it done by one that's artist really, yeah, and that's just, I mean, it's just, it's essentially just part of how it's sold. Like this is the image for the novel. This is what we want you to see when you read this. Like this is essentially just extra stuff for your mind to, when you're envisioning the world of the novel, this is the image we want attached to it. So like, I mean, yeah. it's essentially that's like my idea of like what a light novel is where it's like, it's the novel, but it's also the image. It sounds like Kizu maybe sometimes breaks out of that otaku yeah. market and and targets like a broader audience. Or, eh. or the Monogatari series, not Kizu specifically. The success of it is on such a level where it's like it's not just the same ten thousand people that like buy every single Kyoto Animation Blu-ray that comes out. Right. It's, it's definitely got a little bit more reach than you know just you know the usual late night anime uh, stuff that that we get. Right, and so it started as a, a light novel series, and then it's been adapted into uh, well, a adapted, ton of different... Adapted into a ton of anime, and then conspicuously yeah. the first story, or rather the Kizumonogatari story, which chronologically is the first, and then was the second novel, but that just didn't get an anime for... Mm. How many years was it? Like six or five years since the release of Bakemonogatari? I think it was seven. At this point, it's seven, like because it finished... It finished now in 2017, but then Bakemon Atari came out in 2010, I believe. Uh, 2009, 2009 when the TV July. series first came out. Yep. Wow. So, so yeah, 2016 so, when it first started. Yeah, it would still be it still be seven years. So that sticks out because it's just like if any if it was any other studio, I think it wouldn't have been such a big deal to like take like uh, to take a lot of time to make a theatrical. Uh, adaptation of a novel this was like this is on another level this is like like projects like redline were were like seven years mm -hmm. well were they working on it continuously so the studio here is shaft and director is akiyuki shimbo right uh, same yeah. as West well, or no no is that i i didn't actually it's check that so tatsuyo ishii yeah tatsuyo oh, okay. ishii yeah. the story goes um Funny enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna show it, but uh, there was a translation that we put up on Wave Motion Cam that kind of details this this process. Akiyuki Shimbo, uh, so Bakemonogatari was kind of plagued with some production issues towards the end. They didn't get to put the last three episodes on air, so it ended in episode 12. But there were 15 episodes, and so what happened is Shaft still had to adapt, you know, some of the novel, and so what they decided to do is they were going to do this as web episodes, you know, webisodes or whatever. And uh, they're editing this, but as they're doing it, the production, you know, picture kind of like that Shirobako where they're all getting together and watching, you know, these completed episodes and making sure everything's cool before it airs. They were doing this in like a theatrical studio versus a TV anime studio. And that's when Shimbo was kind of struck with the idea of, oh, we should totally do films of this. And Tatsuya Oishi was like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so Oishi grabbed some of the best animators at Shaft locked everybody in a basement for seven years and created like <laughs> basically um one of yeah, god's gift to animation no matter if it's if you're a fan of western or eastern or whatever and like this not is even, just a pure masterpiece just animation, animation just like film just fit in filmmaking terms like yeah that's true too that first film is a magical experience like 
I there's very little in terms of mainstream anime that would even come close to like the kind of shots that they pull off in that first film. I would call that I would call Kizumonogatari a, a a noir totally. Um, yeah, yeah, like that. Mm. Like the three films had different styles to them in a way where it's like this first one is a little bit art house and then the second one is like you know the balls out action kind of uh kind of movie third one i think we'll get into in a little bit because i've got very complex developing emotions about it Mm. they're good it's good but it's definitely i think less the the technical aspects take charge and more of the content yeah that that I will agree with. I think uh, just to kind of, I guess to take the temperature of the room. My favorite was uh, was part two. What was what was your favorite, David? Um, I'm between one and three because I saw one. I saw one in like the most ideal environment possible, which was a nearly abandoned Japanese theater on opening. On opening yeah, day. I remember reading about that. You booked the ticket to go to <laughs> Japan to watch the movie. Yeah, so it was it was a morning it was a morning release in a theater like many many miles away from Tokyo, like well like Tokyo is like the the main city bit of Tokyo like it was still Tokyo but it was like basically the outskirts of Tokyo, and they just had a theater running this movie. I managed to get a ticket for that, and the thing about Japanese audiences is that they're very reverent when there's a f- movie on the screen. So you can't even hear anybody eating any popcorn or anything. It's like, it's just, it's super. Well, unless it's the audience for end of Evangelion, that one dude in the front flipping you off. <laughs> yeah, you thought, you thought we didn't see that, but we did. Oh uh, yeah. Well, we saw, we saw it now. We saw it well, blue, right? I love how like... it's just like enhance, enhance over the years. <laughs> I don't know this. I don't know this thing. You don't so, know this? The, if you watch the original end of Evangelion, right, the original cut, like that was in whatever seven, maybe seven twenty or four eighty quality or whatever that we originally uh-huh. got, you know, there's this dude who's always like, if you remember those live action cuts where it's panning over the audience, um, there's this one dude who's kind of like flip, you know, putting his hand out or whatever. Remember that? <laughs> you, you remember I, I, it now? It's been way too long since I've seen it, so I don't remember that. But I gotta rewatch. People would have been this able dude to see is it always like clearly, making though. gang signs or something with his hand. We could never figure out what he's doing. It's like he clearly saw the camera and he's responding to it. It's like what is he doing? And then like finally gets transposed to DVD or some shit, and we're like, okay, we're looking at this, and it's like, okay, like he's doing something. It's, is that the, is that the middle finger? No, it couldn't be. But you know, no one could tell. And finally, fucking Blu-ray, we're looking at this guy's <laughs> flipping us off. It's like fuck you, Hideyano. I'm in the theater watching your movie. Screw you. It's like, okay. Wow. It took us what twenty years? Yeah, that's the real mystery of yeah. Ava. That guy like, had to be a plant. Like, what does he mean? <laughs> he had to be a plant from Gynex. It's it's Christian symbolism. The middle finger represents Jesus. <laughs> Mormon Jesus. That's right. Who's a girl and extremely wait, moe. What if Mari is? No, wait. Mm. We're not doing crossovers yet. Oh, okay. Wait, what if Mari is Mormon Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> is oh. Mari a Mormon? Ooh. Yeah, maybe. That's a good... I mean, there's there's no proof that Mari isn't a Mormon. That's that's true. Right? That's kind of true. like that's listening true. to the Anna Gamers podcast can't you can't you can't prove that it prevents car crashes. You know. <laughs> right. You just you can't that's prove true. it so we can claim it. You can't disprove it, more importantly. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Whoops. Now I, 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 I've insulted everybody on the podcast. When I, <laughs> that's not what I was intending. I'm an asshole. Hi, my name is Josh. I've been an asshole for three minutes now. And 
<laughs> that's why we brought you on. You know, that's uh, that's that's what we uh, oh. it's what we value here. Actually, on the Any Gamers oh. podcast, if we if we have nice people on here, it's lame. Oh man. So so as so as I was saying, hard uh, transition. So so I, yeah, hard transition into <laughs> um, one. One I think is just untouchable. I think I had like a few minor problems with two. I have a, I have problems with three, but three just had like the most. I had I got the biggest response. Like I gave out like the biggest response from three. Like I still have not been able to just sit down and watch another cartoon after that. And I don't think I don't see like the day when I will actually just get over myself and watch another cartoon. So I'm I'm definitely interested in knowing what the specifics are there and i'll, I'll throw in here there will be there will spoilers, be spoilers i'm sure you guys are going to we're gonna spoil bust this a, one a wide open but yeah because i have i haven't seen it so i mean like what's the what what is it kind of what is it doing i don't know it's well, kind of a very vague well, question but yeah you want to take this josh yeah i mean like for me the first thing i'm going to mention is like I feel very confident in the statement of saying that animation techniques took a step forward when it came to Kizumonogatari. Not that they did anything technologically different. It wasn't like, you know, Akira or a Ghost in the Shell by any means. But I will say, like, what was applied and what was done and visually accomplished, like, that is to be to be heralded as a gem, as a, as a pinnacle example of what animation can do this is a film that simply will never ever be able to be done in live action and i say that you know we just got done watching her or whatever that movie's name was uh serial experiments lane live action adaptation um (laughs) so get lost in the metaverse baby the um like it it just uh, tatsuo ishii is a very interesting character because he pays a lot of attention to different animation techniques. He was, for a brief moment, um, Gainax's staff, where he met one of the greatest animators of all time, Yo Yoshinari, and hmm. he's you know best buddies with him. I, Yoshinari has a couple cuts in Kizu here and there, um, or at least one that I can think yeah, of. On Yoshinari top of my head. is the uh, is the director of Little Witch Academia for people who aren't familiar. Yes, now it's trigger name dropping yeah. things. I'm sorry, sorry. It's like oh look oh, at my Evan, technological Evan there proficiency. To, to pick it up. Yeah, but yeah you, you also just you sort of dropped the lore in front of me. You're like trigger staffer. And it's like, ah, this is my chance. <laughs> 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 but I mean, I, I'm sort of curious because it, it's it's interesting. I'm definitely hearing like the David. I think you're you are maybe coming at it from more of like a storytelling filmmaking side of things. But Josh sounds like you were just bowled over by like the animation. But like what I've only seen some trailer stuff. But I mean, like animation wise, what is it that it's. Like, what are some of the most interesting cuts that it's got? Well, so one of the... Actually... Like, are there any techniques it's it's doing that are particularly unique? Yeah, so obviously... Um, shit, which one do I start with? Like, just the amount of care that's taken into the drawings is is extremely mm. great. There's one scene where you have, um, you know, the main vampiress um, kiss shot, right? Or uh, Shinobu, mm. as a lot of people will know her as. Um, where she just starts you know, has this amazing crying scene. And typically when you add a lot of lines to an expression, it typically, it kind of, I don't want to say becomes more ugly because that's not the right verbiage, but it has a, a deeper. Oh, I know what you mean. It's like a, a wrinkly weight to it. There's a more like just raw human quality, just instantly right there. 
Well, so like if you you mean like the line art, like when the line art is messier yeah. and there's more. Well, it just yeah. has more lines. Like Scott McCloud right. in um, okay, Understanding yeah, yeah. Comics gave a great explanation of this. I, I definitely say anybody who's into animation or comics or visual arts should read that book. The more specific, the more lines you have, the more narrowed in to a representation you get. The yeah, fewer yeah. lines, less the, abstract. Yeah. Yeah, and it can, you know, fewer lines can represent more. So naturally, when you want to try and do a serene grace, the concept would be, okay, keep it a little bit leaner on the line work because you want people to be able to see the beauty, you know, and naturally, you know, mentally transpose that onto the screen and, and find what they like, you know, visually appealing type thing. And uh, some really amazing cuts right there were just like facial expressions and some character acting, which was... Um, Shaft is great in adapting things because they'll take liberties. And this film took the liberties in the right spots, uh, particularly that scene where you have that one character crying. But, like, in the opening, too, uh, you want to talk about filmmaking. Like, holy crap. Like, the way those shots are done and the way, like, there's so much symbolism in that first cut. And that's why I love these films more than anything. Like, the animation is is top-notch, top-tier, perfect on almost every regard. But, uh... Like the filmmaking, and I can I can already feel you know David chomping at the bit here. But like the filmmaking, there's so much symbology in this film, where you can stop and think about it, and it you know it's not like oh god this is deep you know it's not like middle finger Mochan <laughs> Evangelion, but it is it is I mean there's 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 meaning to it like when Aradagi walks past a yellow door with the number four on it like that actually means something it's not like just a random door with a random color with a random number you know there's a lot of Japanese um, Japanese isms going on there I don't know if that's an offensive word I apologize if it is but it is an intensely Japanese film that was like that that's kind of surprising how much they brought out from the novel that's not in the pages but feels very monogatari like yeah that's I mean so Nisio Ishin, the um the the writer for all these different novels, really likes to get preachy. He likes to hear himself talk and he likes to talk about concepts and this, <laughs> that, the other thing. Just just to be honest. Um and it mm-hmm. works though. You know, the, there are some people who are just a little bit a little bit pompous and they totally go on and on and on, but it works because you like what they have to say. And he's totally one of those dudes. And he likes to basically tell you the message in some sort of like metaphor or symbol or something like that. Of course, this is all in writing, and the anime perfectly encapsulates this by using visual metaphors. Um, and then he'll go through the entire story and then go through the moral again at the end, almost like an Aesop's fable type thing. Mm. And then he's like, boom, do you get the message? And then you're like, wow. And what it does is it creates this really powerful resonance within, like if you understand it and grasp it, right, it creates a, a pretty pretty significant resonance within like your just the human spirit, just within you, um, just thinking, okay, yeah, I get what he's trying to say about greed. He's not just talking greed is bad or greed is good or greed is whatever. He's just talking about greed. And then it kind of in almost like a Zen-like fashion, you start to understand the concept. And I think that's the beautiful thing about his writing, which really branches out to a, a multiverse of different people, you know, has a broad audience because it's just do you get this concept? Let's explore this concept through really weird JoJo's references and stuff. <laughs> is it is it particularly like poetic? I guess like is is the writing kind of more abstract mm. or no? I've only watched a little bit of like Bake Monogatari, um, so maybe maybe just because things things resolve in a way. Not I don't want to say something cheap like 
you don't know how it's going to end, but more like it resolves in a way that isn't always clean. But I think uh, I think in the end, everybody just develops way a lot more from where they started. I guess I guess what I'm getting at is like during that sort of process that Josh is describing of like it's sort of in in between those two bookends when he's exploring the theme because i have noticed when watching like bakemonogatari there's a lot of very disconnected pieces of of dialogue or like there's the the title card thing that bakemonogatari does a lot of uh that kind of like all this jumping back and forth so i guess i'm just asking how much of of even just on the dialogue level is it you know not directly about what's on screen and and talking about things that are thematically but not physically connected to the events if that makes sense well that's why i asked about like poetry in the sense of like mm -hmm. you know talking about something that is it's not really necessarily the actual thing that you're talking about right <laughs> if like you're talking about trees but you're not really talking about trees right like yeah, <laughs> yeah funny uh, you like say the, that <laughs> the avatar type thing um and not not the the cat blue people what i think is in, in uh initiations writing is that you will get one story but you won't really see, you won't really see the f every aspect of it until like it just feels a little bit too late when you're seeing like just the final developments of it. It's like that's what that's what I kind of meant like when I, like I wanted to like hesitate and say like, well things end in a way that these people don't really expect how they're gonna end, but like it's it's an ending that does make total sense when you think about it and just the style of uh, the kind of story that they want to go for. How's the how's the story itself? structured in yeah. like you know is it is, is this so, the structure pretty traditional so yeah, no, actually like... this is like pretty um <laughs> i don't want to say entry level but it, it is a it is a good it is a good place to start i think to just kind of get ahead of myself and answer one of those questions that we've got at the bottom yeah no keys of monogatari is definitely a very strong point to start at if you were if you are going to start the monogatari suit that's uh save versus that jared first... there that's our that's our yeah. that's our so shared that, compadre brother in arms, yeah. host of old taku no radio so these films like the first film like i said like this is like that first film is like that you know really artsy kind of kind of film that will you know set the it sets the stage for the second film which feels a lot more like uh like shonen bottle manga kind of kind of anime and then the third film is very <laughs> I felt I felt the the uh, the Nishio Ishin qualities a lot a lot more strongly. Like it felt like it was getting closer to the kind of anime that um, the rest of the Monogatari series is like. Where I think they didn't take as many not as many structural liberties as they did with the first one or or the second one. Just like the second one is super super high paced. Like there there's no there's no other pacing like that to be found in the monogatari series but then the third one just kind of bring brings it around and now we're kind of like settling into the paces of what bakamonogatari would be like well i kind of want to tackle I, both questions at the same time evan sure, i don't sure. i don't feel like it is particularly poetic um i feel like if anything it's actually quite clunky and i think that's the charm mm. the characters themselves are usually adolescents the only characters who have any sort of grace around them are actually Kishot, uh, who in, her, in and of herself, you know, ends up becoming like a Lolita. So it kind of gains a bit of clunkiness. Um, but 
in typical fashion, you know, have these older characters that tend to have some some understanding of the world around them. Uh, you know, Kaiki is another one in the series that comes to mind, and Oshino um, is definitely another one. Um, you know, you probably won't encounter Kaiki until like the second series. I don't know how far you are in in the Monogatari. Monoverse. He's one episode in. Yeah, oh. I'm not very far. <laughs> okay, in. then ignore he, everything. Evan's just extremely it. difficult to convince to watch something as long as this. Yeah, no, I mean, like you can, but the wonderful thing is, like, you could just pick up one series, watch it, and then just drop it, and then come back and watch the next series and just drop it. Like they're pretty self-contained because they're based off books, so it's like. Imagine just reading, okay, I read Fellowship of the Ring. Like, that's pretty, I mean, it's not nearly as, kind of a very bad comparison, but I guess my point is, like, you could read Fellowship <laughs> oh, of the Ring. We're saying that, Bak- that Monogatari is the same thing as Lord of the Rings. That's, Got it. There you go. Yeah, Game of Thrones and yeah. then Lord of the Rings. So basically, what I'm trying to say is Full Metal Alchemist is based off Monogatari. That's what I'm trying to say. But Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, like, it's self-contained. You could read one and then just, you know, move on and then read, the, you know, or maybe The Witcher is probably that, that Witcher novel series. <laughs> you could read one of those books and then move on to the next one and you could just move on next one they're like almost unrelated to some regard so so i again i've only seen one episode but the first episode of bakemonogatari has like a whole lot of references to i i guess to the the events of kizu that are like just thrown at you at the beginning with like no context so that seems like that it seems like an odd and that's like talking about bakemonogatari i guess but it's like sort of related in that it seems like a really weird choice because as someone who's wow. who's new to it well, i'm like what is going on if, here who are these people was tossed well, odds are fans. if you were a japanese viewer you would have read both of the novels mm-hmm. that were out at the time mm-hmm. so that would have been both bakamonogatari uh well, i guess it was like a two-volume release over there and kizamonogatari would have also been out maybe the ones afterward after it like immediately after like nekomonogatari would have also been out but i guess I guess the anime approaches it from the frame of mind where, where you're like, you would have, you're only watching this because you've read the novels and then like, you know, it became the sort of success that it is. And then it doesn't really do anything like that anymore. Yeah. Okay, so okay. for people who may not understand how big of a success this was before Bakemonogatari came out in 2009, the highest selling Blu-rays belonged to K-On. Okay. Hmm. Bakemonogatari comes out and breaks the record by at least another, what was it? 10,000? units or was it, it only was, a thousand it am i adding difference. a zero in there it was it was a lot of blu-rays like basically i remember i remember k on four something it couldn't have only well, I, don't, I don't remember I, i'm not very good when it comes to blu-ray sales but the point is you know bake pushed that forward and it's been surpassed since then but the point is the point is um this became a runaway hit with bake monogatari and that's kind of pushed forward the concept of making kizu um I mean, if, if Bakke was not nearly successful, we'd kind of have these Shaft adaptations that are fun and great and heralded as good anime. But like Kizu breaks out of the Monogatari series. Like if you're like, I, I don't want to watch the Monogatari series, then don't just watch Kizu. Mm. And that's that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly acceptable. You're missing out on some stuff. But at the same time, the stuff you're missing out on is the stuff that the fans of the series are going to want you to have because they're fans right. of the series, not the integral part of the story. Because the integral part of the story is an emotional context. I mean, Kizu Monogatari. So the whole name is Kizu, Scar, and Monogatari story. So it's literally Scar story. It's literally about being hurt and kind of how people cope with that hurt in different ways. And that makes it sound a little bit deeper than what it is, but... If you had read, you know, if you've read the novel, you've seen these films, it makes sense. Um, And how much does the film work without the novel? Perfectly fine. I feel. 
Yeah, no, There's like nothing the film, like... the the film has just these extra these extra layers to it that isn't in the book. So like, like I hate to like be like the kind of person that says like, oh, I, I like I like the the uh, the movie more than the book, but oh, well, that's that's a pretty rare opinion, yeah. Uh, but. But like, I would say, yeah, Monogatari kind of probably exist. has a stronger visual representation it, than yeah, a. No. Than it's a, like it's just it's such a it's such a special movie where I can like I can feel confident saying like to no no discredit to to the writer, but this movie is it's a labor of love and it clearly reflects when you watch it. I would I totally agree, but also like Nisio Eason is is very self indulgent again, completely self indulgent with what he likes and how he writes things and this that the other thing. And so when you're watching this this film, the self-indulgence comes across more in people who really, 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 really try to put their their, their best effort in the animation, the direction. Again, spot on. I could go on and on and on for days about that. But like – so trying to think here. To kind of put the nail in the coffin on that question though, I think – it's told in sequences of events and there's, you know, it kind of unfolds plot point A, B, C, conclusion, whatever you want to call it, you know. And uh, I think the thing. Yeah, I was, I was sort of curious if there was any sort of like non-traditional narrative structure to it nah, or if it's pretty nah, it's standard pretty in that regard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have to watch Monogatari functions in arcs. Now, Kizu Monogatari is one arc in and of itself. Um, you're watching Bake. The first two episodes in Bake Monogatari are an arc. And the arc deals with a theme, and then you kind of move forward, right? Um, Nisio Eason may deal with one or more themes or one or more arcs in a particular novel. Uh, I know, like, Bakemono um, is, is broken up into several different uh, light novels over here in the U.S. They're, they're doing three different releases. three, yeah. Yeah. But, um, Do three and, like, like, five arcs in the three books. Yep. And the last arc is, you know, is a little bit longer than the other, the other four. So, um, but anyway, that's, that's not, 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 neither to do with here or there, but I guess the thing is Kizu is the setting, the cornerstone. So even though it's chronologically written after it takes place first, but you can start with Bake or you can start with Kizu. It, it actually doesn't matter because the way these things were originally written and Shaft really preserves a lot of that as well. And again, it's, it's thematic. I, you know, and I hate to say this, but you could watch any Monogatari series and just watch one arc. Um, you don't even have to watch the full show. You would be missing out on kind of the grand conclusion of each series. But you would be able to at least get some, you know, the general emotional gist of that arc. It's kind of a poor way. I mean, it'd be kind of like saying, well, you can watch just the Saiyan saga of Dragon Ball Z, but, but you could, you know, it's not like what happens at the end of Boo really impacts yeah. the Saiyan saga. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you could. Mm. I don't see why you, you, why you would. I don't. Well, I mean, whatever <laughs> I can do to convince people to watch it. I mean, if you just want to watch the it's first just, two episodes, so you know, it's so hard on just like the basis of like just Chef's style for for the first season. Like it, it, I know too many people that it's turned off, and I've just I've kind of lost hope for them. So I like, just be able to convince them to watch it yeah so like if we, if we were to get in kind of the content of the film that that opening shot um very much packed with symbolism you have a lot of these different like very in the beginning of the film they have you know a couple title cards which monogatari is known for and starts talking about uh black and white or monochrome inversed you know a monochrome is black and white or is it now white and black, you know? So the idea is that these two colors, which have emotional 
dramatic symbolism in and of themselves, uh, in and of themselves rather, um, it's been reversed. And it's very curious because you have this youth who's now become a vampire. Um, and one thing actually that I'm thinking about now, they did miss out on one crucial piece from the Kizu book. Araragi mentions very in the be- in the beginning to the other human character, um, Hanakawa, um, that he doesn't want to die. He doesn't feel like actually sad or anything. He just wants to become a plant to be completely apathetic. You know, he wants mm. to oh, live. You mentioned life. this, David. I did. I did actually talk about this. Yeah. He just yeah. wants to be a plant. Just like, I just want to hang out and just not have to worry about stuff. That, that definitely comes into play. Yeah. That was but actually they, a big point in the He didn't mention that novel. in the film. They did not. And, and that's kind of a, a big deal, but especially since I think and here's where I think this is how that got lost in translation, is that Oishi, Tatsuya Oishi, the director, really wanted to avoid trying to do too much of the in my head Araragi-ness that totally, you know, encomp- uh, that totally encompassed the the Bakemono experience. And so um mm-hmm. you can read that um what was his name? Um voice actor for Araragi. His name escapes me for the moment. Uh, Hiroshi, Hiroshi Kamina. Kamina. Yeah. Kamina. He's, he's sitting there and uh, he didn't have like much of a script. Of course, he's he's re- voice recording Kizu at the same time he was doing uh, Owari Monogatari. Was that it? No. It was right before Owari. Um, but anyway, he was doing one of the series parallel. Um, again, that's another translation we have up on the site. You can read that. But the idea is that he was really surprised that Kizu had less dialogue for him to actually read to record than the actual series did. Now, granted, yeah, there's a differential in time between 13 episodes and, you know, three hour-long movies. One is twice the time of the other. But it was such a difference that it wasn't like, oh, a no-brainer, this is shorter. It was literally they cut hmm. out a lot of this monologue and decided to show things visually. So when I say it's a noir... I really mean that like the the film really relies on its sense of space, the locations, the lighting, all, all these different symbols really, 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 really mean something in terms of just getting across a mood. And it's tons of little easy to understand symbols stacked one on top of the other to the point where it becomes dense, not through like deep symbolic meaning, but more through just there's so much visually to take in at once that you can watch these movies two or three times just looking for small things and be super rewarded each and every time with something new. Yeah, you know, like, so I was, I mean, I've been following it from Bakemonogatari. So going and following all these, all these seasons as they were coming out and then to land at Kizumonogatari where it's essentially very, it's very quiet. There's, there's such a, <laughs> the, the, just like the, that, it, the work that was put into the silence in this film, it just, for one, it's like, it just makes me, it's very easy to make me feel uncomfortable when, you know, there's a part of it where I'm like, if this was any other Monogatari adaptation, there would have been a music track in here or something. But no, they just rely on the voice actors to just bring out their very sparsely chosen out lines. This is uh, this is kind of selling me on it because what I've seen of Bakemonogatari, today, I was like, uh, it's a little too much. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that, like, that, that, that's monologuing like monologuing here. That's kind of like just shafts. Part of it is Shaft's style, where they just try to cram in as much of the original text as they can. Like, if you watch something like Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei, that's an anime where you have to kind of just pause it when there's a joke. Because you might you might actually just miss the joke and just be like, crap, what, what just happened? 
And is that like is that Shimbo or that or Shaft? Shimbo, right? So no, I, I meant like is that Shimbo's doing or is that Shaft's doing? I think he directed that. Sh- that was that was Shimbo, so, right? Y- yes and no. So like okay, so Shimbo did have his hands in. Um, he has his hands in a lot of different Shaft products, but he's never directly responsible. He hasn't technically directed anything since like uh, when I say technically directed, I mean like done storyboards for and everything since. Uh, I think the last one was like a honeycomb. What was the name of that damn show? Hidamari. Hidamari sketch. Yeah, I think I think that's the last one that he actually really? ended up touching. I, I do not follow Shaft shows. I I was is he credited as director on these shows? It's just he didn't always like, in do forever. Like He's always credited on like almost just everything. But like we we've caught on for a while that he just wasn't directing this stuff. Yep. Yeah, his mm-hmm. name always shows up. It's kind of like Gen Fukunaga or whatever his name is. You know, he doesn't actually. Yeah, but um, actually, uh, it's it's exactly like Hajime Atate. Uh, Akiki Shimbo just isn't real. <laughs> well, yeah, has anybody actually seen him? That's the thing, though. Like, Akiki Shimbo, he's he's real. He hangs out with Santa Claus. No, it's just it's just the Shaft PR guy, right? Yeah, it's a PR guy. It's like, like it's like operating Shimbo. a Twitter account, but it's an actual just it's just a person. Yeah. Listen, Shimbo's more of an idea than a person. Like he can be inhabited by different human beings. That's at true. Different you times. know, like as a man, he could be destroyed, but as a symbol, that's right. So, like Aki Shimbo's like, I'm gonna create Bakemonogatari, not the anime that people want, but the anime that people need. It's true, though. Okay. Well, I mean, you went for Batman. I was also thinking like Zero from Code Geass. Uh, oh, oh, well. As long as we're getting all the dank memes in there. Both, both options work. But, uh, I mean, like, so Shimbo, obviously, he's not the main director. But the thing, Nisio Eason, when he first wanted, so Shimbo Shaft approached them, said, like, look, we want to, you know, we, we want to adapt these novels. And Nisio Eason said, no, wait, I rely way too much on wordplay. The way these books are written really, really is involved with the language. And luckily, Tatsuya Oishi had already worked again with Hidamari. And so what he did with Hidamari was make the minimalist nature of the manga come out as a more artistic expression for these art students. So, you know, it's it's an artsy show about making art, quite literally. And, and so the theme starts to shape the aesthetic of the show. Um, with, you know, the Monogatari series, that's exactly how Bake is. It's very monologue because, I mean... The books rely on Adaragi's monologues. These title cards, if you actually stop and read them, are these little things, these snippets from the book and that sort of thing. Mm. I don't know if they're direct, you know, trans, you know, uh, what, what do you call that there? Transposing of the text or anything like that. But mm-hmm. it's the same idea. So they're trying to keep all that wordiness. When you're watching the visuals, lots of text, lots and lots of text, text as an aesthetic. And so that's the idea. And when he went to go to Kizu, obviously you know, the Monogatari ball kept rolling. It gave him some freedom to do things kind of how he wanted to do as a director. Yeah. The the title cards is an interesting thing because it like ties into a certain kind of like film theory media comparison thing, right? Where it's like when you just slap the original book's text on screen, you're kind of starting to make like this hybrid media where it's like kind of oh, a well, movie and you, a book at the same consider, time. If you consider right? the TV, like the TV edit of the uh, original series, it does. It honestly does look like a book that sometimes moves. 
Oh, you mean the animation like super limited? Like, 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 like we were saying, like it was kind of a mess until the Blu-rays came out. Mm. Yeah, it's a but yeah. I think that, I mean that's a that's just a kind of interesting idea is to because I've I've seen people do similar things with other media, kind of mixing them into film. So there's like a fair number of movies that try to do that with like theater, where they try to like kind of hybridize theater and film. It's what like Vanya on Forty Second Street does, and like birdman kind of does that and it's like mm. pretty rare you see that done with text and like novels i think it's kind of harder to do with novels though yes yeah. obviously <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like you're still limited by what you can visually do in a novel yeah um, yeah well that i guess i say that but there's one novel that comes to mind where they actually like used layout to like create a mood like the, the text would be spiraling on a page i forget the name of it and my friend would kill is that the house of it. house of leaves or whatever is that what it is? I, I don't know. I've like, heard. I've heard. A, I don't know anything about that book, but I thought somebody told me that it does like weird things like that. Like this is like I don't know. I'm, now I'm tries, starting to like talk out of my ass. I feel like T.S. Eliot did things like that with poetry, but I could have made that up. Ink is gonna kill me. For, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know there are people talking out of my ass about poetry, <laughs> yelling at us. It's like I'm sorry, guys. I can't hear you in this audio podcast. I apologize. <laughs> but. um yeah, I think the thing that, that really matters, though, is Shaft is trying to always capture the mood of the original work best they can. And actually, this is the first time that they've really deviated from it because Kizu, um, like, if you remember in the beginning of Bake, that first episode, like, they time it. It's like one minute of a panty shot. And that actually happens in the beginning of Kizu. Adaragi goes on in this monologue, which is like two and a half pages, and the author draws attention to it. And Hanakawa asks him in universe, like, "Did you just think about my panties and go on about it for two and a half pages?" You know, and that's kind oh. of that's kind of the idea. So, how do you capture that in a visual medium? Like, you 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 basically start drawing attention to the aesthetic, and you know, you put a stopwatch in the corner, and you have the ticking mm-hmm. and this that the other thing, and. So that's kind of the idea. You put all these words on on the screen and this, that, the other thing to really draw the eye and keep it always busy. That's the idea. I don't know, though, because, like, three, like, because we've been talking about, like, like, you know, like, okay, so it's, these animations are faithful to initiations, writing, and all that, and it really evokes the spirit. But then I think three, like, really just kind of, that was the thing that, like, just pushed me off the cliff in terms of, like, you know, here here are my ideas of what like the Monogatari series is, and then Keys of Three is like this is what the Monogatari series could be if you've got somebody like Tatsuya Ishii doing the movie. So like, I was just there. There's a lot of stuff in there where it was like in the novel they would like just joke like, oh well, like now we just we're never getting the anime adaptation done because like. You know, you're you're digging around in your brain for some memories, and there's blood everywhere, and guts, and everything. And for two, even though that was like one of the most violent parts of the book, like there's a lot of cartoony bits in it too, which is like, oh, okay, so it's like you know, it's just kind of like fun anime. Uh, and then three is like that. That's that's a punch in the gut when it came to like you know the parts where it's like, okay, so. Here is the first on-screen dead body, uh, just guts everywhere. Like they they did that before for one of the, um, like as early as Bakemonogatari with the Suriga Monkey um, arc, but then just like you know, like like I'm saying, like just like the way that they did it in Kizumonogatari three, that was on a whole other level. 
And then it's like afterwards, it's just like scene after scene after scene of just like stuff that is just, you could only have done this in a movie theater. You would not have been able to put this on, on TV. That is, uh, that's super true. I mean, like they're, they're perfectly trying to encapsulate, they're trying to utilize the medium that they have, uh, they being Shaft. I wasn't as big a fan as three. Three has some majorly amazing cuts of animation, but the major reason I stick to two so much is not because of content or even the animation. It's just, it, it was one of those things where, you know how, so you sit down, you watch something or you read something and it just hits you the right way at the right time. Um, right. I was already yeah. contemplating, you know, writing stuff about Kizu. In fact, now that I, I reflect upon it, I still owe any gamers a piece on, on Kizu too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I, I was sitting, it's like, I'm, I'm watching movie two. My experience in the theater was always sitting down and I'd watch the film, uh, twice right there. I'd watch it. And then I literally stay in my seat, maybe get up, use the bathroom, sit right back down and the movie would play again. I just watch it twice in a row like that because it took me that long, even though these things are only an hour to visually kind of get the gist of it. Like the first time I'm reading subtitles, okay, cool. I'm, I'm following along. Okay, cool. And the second time I'm ignoring subtitles and paying attention only to the way it's moving, only to the, you know, the, the things that are on screen. Those movies are dense. Like the, I, I could still go two back and really watch dense. it. Dude, like, but two just hit me. I'm a huge 2001 Space Odyssey fan. It's one of my favorite Ooh. films of all time. I, I think it's a masterpiece of cinema. Like, in my opinion, that film is maybe one of the most important films um, in, in cinematography. And uh, that, when they did, like, the double homage, like, they did, okay, obviously, you have the rising of the planets and they all align. Okay, that's kind of fun and, and cute. But then, like, towards the end, when Araraki, like, goes berserk and starts running, like, it's almost really reminiscent of that final star tripping scene where, um, I th- what was the main character's name? Dave, right? Dave. Um, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Dave. Okay, I, isn't I was that like, the name wow. they like? You should touch. Isn't that the name you should remember because of the scene? I do Hal? remember, but the thing is, like, I was like, is it because I have a David on the podcast, and I'm like, am I just associating <laughs> it? I was like, I don't want to say that and sound like an ass. So that you know, it's like, oh yes, it was clearly David. preposterous. <laughs> but like, the, you know, the idea of like Adaraki kind of just like going into hyperspace or something like that. Like mm. if you look in Bakke, all these little eye shots where he he blinks and like the camera sound, you know, that, that camera snap or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's the same thing that was kind of taken from that same sequence in 2001. Like Monogatari has really relied on cinema and Tatsuya Oishi is a guy who will go out and watch tons of movies, tons of different animation techniques. He has a ton of friends in high places. He's a great, great tour de force animator, actually. He's a pretty good animator as well. He did uh, uh, some quick trivia for He actually did work on the uh, Bokudan War game Digimon movie. But um, anyway, the, po- the point is that that film hit me at the right point, the right time, and that's why it's my favorite. Not because it's the best, although I, I I also do believe that, but it just has a a significance, an emotional significance to me that I can't replace with the other two films. Like, I just love that film to mm. bits. Yeah, there's just a bit of, like, finality with that 2001 reference, because, like, 2001 is maybe, like, one of the, like, the most referred to pieces in, like, you know, any any sort of, any sort of media. And then there was just that, like, just, it, it was just, it was so blunt that it was artistic in a way. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Like, because they didn't, they didn't have to do it, but then they did it. And then on that, they did it on that scale. And then there's just that, that follow through to the end where it's like, here, here it is. This is what you wanted, right? 
And that just, that just like that, that felt like, like we transitioned perfectly from like super blunt 2001 reference to like, just, you know, the, the Monogatari style where it's like, you know, they just deflate you a little bit, but like, you know, here you are, here's what you were looking for. All right. Do we want to want to move on, answer a couple questions? We got like a lot of questions from people. Oh yeah, we did. Let's go through uh, them. So we answered one of them uh, already from Jared. We have one from Ogi-kun on, uh, on Twitter. And it's, what do you think of the cartoon Looney Tunes-like sound effect in Kizumonogatari? Well, I, <laughs> uh, I definitely felt it a lot more in 2. I did, I did like a lot of the, uh, the um, what would you call it? Just like when they make them like, like the, the characters like super cartoony and deformed when like something silly goes on or like actually more probably the best bit is when uh um Kishot is eating the leg in part two which is like <laughs> like that that scene could have been like something out of three but they decided to like just hold off and just keep the, the cartoony bits for for that because she's eating she's eating a leg right mm-hmm. it's an action it's it's a leg so like the characters there understand like she just put like a dismembered leg in her mouth but it's presented in a way where it's like this is a gag <laughs> and then like that that's all well and good for two and then you have the whole thing with three where it's just it's this other utterly different beast so i was I, yeah i did i i liked it and i like to like just see this thing again like just catch the different effects like that i didn't notice the first time especially during the fight with dramaturgy that's got it's got a lot of that in there mm. That yeah, that is true. No, I I will admit that's definitely true. I think with the variance in animation, there's actually a lot of variance with sound. Uh, the music for this we didn't even get into, but the music is absolutely phenomenal. Like one of the Ooh. best scores for an anime film. Period. Uh, very very good. Very very um, memorable. You know, if you've watched these films, you're like, oh yeah, that song. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and I think the sound work, the sound design actually is really warranted. I don't know if I would call it just pure Looney Tunes, but the ones that were in there that were Looney Tunes effects, you know, Shaft's very ham-fisted, kind of tongue-in-cheek at times. And so those effects play really well into the tongue-in-cheekness. Um, cheekiness? Tongue-in-cheekiness? But, uh, <laughs> tongue-ness very, and cheekiness. There we go. You know, it plays very well into that whole atmosphere in making the point. I'd say the sound effects themselves do become uh, some of the symbols. So, uh, We've got an email question from uh, Inaki. Hello, spicy boys. How do you feel about the Monogatari series' use of setting? Compared to Nisio Isian's other work, it relies less on a sense of place, which the animation has an interesting <laughs> oh, thematic interpretation oh, okay. of. Love your friend okay. and mine, Inaki. Okay, so I got a, re- I got a really good response for this one. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of hoping he doesn't listen to this podcast. I know it's a little bit late because we're like we're we're on questions now. This is basically the end. But since it is the spoiler podcast, and I guess I gotta warn the guy before he actually listens to it, I'm gonna just like full on spoil some of the ends for the end parts yeah. for uh, Kizumonogatari three. Um, they they go back to some of the settings for the end of Bakumonogatari for that last scene with Hanakawa after the movie's essentially resolved. And that to me was just like, just such a, it was such a moment because I was actually on the bridge where Araragi is talking to Hanakawa and it just, it's, 
it's just I've got all of these alarms going off in my mind where it's like this this is this is gonna happen later. This is this is alluding to something that's gonna happen later, and I'm like, I it's, it just it felt me it filled me with so so many just emotions, just like just to see that stupid bridge again. So Monogatari is just definitely they they know they know about their their locations. Like they it's not always about them, but visually they, there's a lot of meaning to them. Um. Well. I uh, I have to kind of respectfully disagree with the with the comment. I feel like Kizu Monogatari actually specifically relies on the sense of space more so than the rest of the series, simply because it takes place in almost one centralized location, being the uh, you know the abandoned cram school, which is actually based off a real building, the uh, Yamanashi uh, Culture Chamber, and. Hmm there's a reason why they did that whole redoing of the cram school and into some, an, you know, an actual existing place. Um, I kind of go into that a little bit on with stuff I've written on, on wave motion, but I guess I disagree being a noir, the, the places and the, in the sense of space is actually extremely important in this film. Um, I mean like that third film when they're fighting in a, uh, the final fight in a baseball uh, arena, you know, like there's a reason why it's taking place there. It's you just you couldn't really do that anywhere else and still have the same emotional impact, especially with like some of the Looney Tune sound effects. You know, like relies very much on the sense of space. You know, the animation relies very much on the sense of space or sorry, sense of place, because um, sense of space mm. would be an animation technique. But I mean, like, um, you know, the the place, the location, the scenes, the uh, actual backdrops do play yeah, yeah. a major role in this. So I, I kind of have to disagree with the, the, the foundation of the statement, but um, yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's really good. Uh, we got a question from Dylan Dumay. The most important question, he says, will this be available for 420 tomorrow? Oh, shit, that's will tomorrow? the podcast be available? Wow. Uh, I hope so. Uh, don't 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 count on it. <laughs> but also, you not you not. I mean. If this comes out after 420, you won't be counting on it anymore because you won't have heard it until after. Uh, time is an interesting thing. The other question, though, <laughs> important one, are these movies good? High Trick question. I know the answer already. So what do you guys say? Well, it's We're, good drunk. Okay. Yeah, that's actually true. That is that is true. But I, what I will say is um, if you want a good high, uh, try chopping up your Aniplex Blu-ray because that's probably the feeling. You probably get pretty lightheaded chopping up an $80 Blu-ray and mixing it into a batch of brownies. So yes, the answer is yes. And you'd also uh, just have like a bunch of cuts in your esophagus after you eat the brownie. Oh yeah, the loss, the loss yeah. of the blood uh, just that, that just brings <laughs> you real higher. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, a real trip right there. So it's, it's a 420, right. 421, 422, you know. Fun for Chew on Twitter uh, and that is Quan Chu, the host of the new podcast Reanime asks when starting your own anime podcast hmm uh what is the key element to becoming successful and unique uh i'd i'd like to know what that is actually uh, yeah that would be a good thing for us to know about um, if you guys know you uh, you guys know our email so you just email yeah yeah us. just email us at podcast.anygamers.com if you know how we can be successful and unique i think okay I think it doesn't have to be restricted to just, you know, being a good anime podcast. I think good yeah, podcasting yeah, yeah. comes down to having something visu uh, visually. Wow. Yes. Ooh, having visuals really, in your it's podcast. It's all about visuals. It, it's like it it's a totally light podcast. You, you need we've stuff got a, in your podcast. We've got a, yeah. Um, 
it's all about dynamic audio. Yeah. If you can have somebody listening to something and that, for example, this is going to sound like a, a totally fake thing to do, but like if you just, if you find yourself being mono voice, if you find yourself, okay, I'm always keeping the same tone. It doesn't change or whatever the case may be, da, 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 you know, change it up. Be excited to listen to yourself if you have to. Say something. Put emphasis on a word when you don't have to, you know. If you're getting serious or you're stopping to think, maybe get a little quieter and say, you know, I'm not quite sure if this is the best way to say it, mm. but I feel, you know, and, and just create wow. something. Be theatrical about it, you know. Um, good music, good intro. Holy shit. I can't tell you how many times I have skipped AWO's intro because it, oh, it's it's I like the AWO intro. I don't. Good <laughs> God, it sounds like it was mixed back in the '90s or some shit. And I just because like, it was. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's your elders, buddy. To be fair, because yeah, they basically just ripped a crappy MP3 of the uh, the NWO opening uh, opening entrance but, theme. Like I just can't. I can't. I mean, like it was cool when I was 15. No, right, it wasn't. Right. But like, still, like, you know, I didn't know any better. But it's like, man, I can't listen to that anymore. It's just like, ugh. It but brings I, it brings that, back repressed memories. <laughs> that's interesting that you're like. I wouldn't have even thought to give advice based on like how to, you know, cadence of voice and stuff. Because I feel like uh, that sort of is something you just. A lot of times, people just sort of learn that as they go. But that is good advice. Uh, it's definitely like you just gotta. I'd say like dynamics are important, obviously not just for the audio, but for like the actual, the people that you yeah. have on the show, Between... like you, you got to make sure that it's like, it's gotta be people who like you at the bare minimum, you better find them super interesting to talk to just normally, right? Like a normal conversation with this person should be interesting enough that you just feel like, man, if I just yeah. put a microphone in here, this yeah. would be interesting, right? So like, like me and Evan can basically never get enough of one another. Like, yeah. even after we stop recording this, we're still talking for, like, two or three hours afterwards. Like, that's how real it is between me and Evan. That's impressive, so, since neither of you are 2D. Hey. <laughs> hey Listen, yeah. I, I like 3D, all right? So I, I can hang out with David all day. <laughs> it's uh, the differences that brings us together. Yeah, like, and it, it's not even just, like, your best friend, right? Because sometimes you can just have a really good, like, podcast rapport with, with people who maybe aren't, like, your best friends. But, like, it's it's just about, like, kind of being able to recognize when a conversation is interesting. And, part of, like, a big part of that is the same sort of skill that is, like, you know, makes someone a good conversationalist in person. Right? Yeah. Is being able to recognize when, when a conversation is interesting, when it's not interesting, when to, yeah. like, move it to yeah, a more gotta, interesting topic. You got to recognize yeah. when things are over. That yeah, yeah. When you feel like you don't want to talk about something, don't. And right. so, sooner or later, one that allows other people to talk, uh, and also make sure you listen. If you don't listen, you can't really say anything profound or good or anything neat. Uh, I will say, do not be afraid of conflict. Too many podcasts oh, yeah, 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 yeah. are so you know, like, oh well, we don't want to shell out and talk about these guys too much, even though they're a major influence. Or I don't want to talk about this because then it sounds like I'm mean. Like, look curb yeah, it yeah. don't be an antagonistic asshole you don't need to have a podcast full of salt and shade but you can say well i mean like for example i have no problem saying like i just don't like the awo opening i still listen to the podcast i still you know it's one of the staples of anime podcast well and I, but, i'm gonna be really cynical here and say sometimes a little bit of that is like uh is is not just good because it like mixes things up but it's good because it like gets you some publicity hey, right hey, like hey, if, you, if, if there's a little bit of <laughs> casting shade so people true. like 
people will be like, oh shit, they were just talking okay, shit on that okay. podcast. Before, before, talk about it. <laughs> before it gets lost into time, a podcast of Salt and Shade would be a very good uh, Game of Thrones podcast. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Game of Thrones sucks, man. Tyrion Lannister, he's going to die. Yeah. Yeah, we should um, we should we should spin it off, Evan. Right. The yeah. podcast of Salt and Shade this summer when uh, Game of Thrones starts airing again. Yeah, but it'll just be me saying I'm not watching it'll the show. Be, and it'll be you. It'll be it'll be you just like pretending to know stuff, and it'll be me just like just being like, "Oh my god, Evan, can you like believe that they killed that guy? <laughs> like that guy has been in that show for like seven series now. No, but and you now guys they have to finally introduce yourselves as Salt and Shade. Like that's your actual name." Salt and shade. Oh yeah. Hi, I'm Salt. Uh, I'm so shade. just, <laughs> just, to, just to finish up uh, uh, Kwan's question here, uh, I think there's a, there's a bit in here not just about like unique, uh, successful, but how to be unique, right? And like I think it's a really good idea to listen to other podcasts and understand what other people are doing. That seems like kind of common sense, right? Uh, and that should include things outside of like anime podcasts. Yes. Uh, listen, I mean, I listen at, nowadays. I listen to a fair number of like comedy and politics type podcasts and like i i've been i david and i were, were joking about that i've been accused of uh of sort of co- maybe copying some of the, yes. the speaking styles of people from some of those podcasts it's uh, it's a reference it's not a it's not a copy <laughs> i'll say i don't want this to draw long but i feel like this is also important to say editing is yep, really important yep. to Ooh. dynamics like you don't have to be yeah. a master editor but if you hear something it's like wow i like how that's the best thing i ever did for my podcasting uh life whatever the word is there uh career although that sounds way too prestigious so forgive me the best thing i ever did was listen to r5 central mike dent is mm. probably one of the best editors i've ever listened to and again listen to stuff outside of anime listen to video game podcasts listen to politics podcasts there's nothing more boring than politics and if they can get you to listen to a podcast they're doing some sort of editing right or they're bullshit politics but anyway the, or, the point well, is, or they're like chapo trap house and they're just really funny <laughs> Right. But I guess the, yeah. the the thing is, do something unique. Um, I mean, how do you become unique? Do something unique. If no one else is... Anime that, yeah, is look really for wonderful. something people aren't doing. Yeah. Anime is, yeah. A, is, a, is a field where a bunch of people are doing mediocre podcasts because they yep, found a yep. microphone, they want to talk about their favorite show, and that's fine. That's dandy. Whoa, you know, I don't want to take that away from people. the AGP right there. <laughs> but, uh, oh. David, are you kidding me? We don't talk about our favorite shows. We talk about how everybody else's favorite shows are bad. <laughs> no, no, that's not what different. I mean by that. I mean, like, it's literally like one person who's never even edited a podcast before. They don't edit this. They're, right, right. Like, you can hear all the clicks and the clacks or whatever you want, and, you know, the buzz. And I'm saying, like, we have a lot of that, and that's okay. Like, everyone starts off that way. I have no problem with those people, but I'm saying, if you want to stand out, then fucking put the time and effort into it. Like, it will yeah. it will shine like this is a great field this is a great genre to really put effort into podcasting because you'll stand out real quick yeah yeah, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll also <laughs> say one more thing uh which is and you can actually kind of hear us doing it in this show to sort of like maybe put a little bit too much of a spotlight on how the sausage is made and it's uh, embrace like repetition things like that that's that's really good like be willing to repeat a joke right and like let it let it sort I've of ride out throughout the podcast before. Yeah, <laughs> but it like it, it it that helps you create like a, a sense we, of continuity. We've got, we've got the like, AGP universe. Of yeah, yeah. You create content. like a little little universe of your podcast, and that that tends to be like a really sticky sort of thing in in marketing terms, right? Because it's like there's something for people to come back to. There's a sense that they're they're in on something. 
uh and that's like it's really good trying like i think there can be a tendency to try to avoid that right so and it, if i understand yeah. what you're saying evan you say people like sticky sausage uh yeah sticky just uh, i i call it the sticky sausage method it's it's the new book from malcolm gladwell uh <laughs> sticky sausage what uh what meat can teach us about uh marketing bullshit uh, i got a question from Inazel, Inazel, whatever on twitter uh regular anti-gamers listener uh it is a follow-up on last week's uh episode in which david and i picked two uh, anime characters that we wanted to have as our like you know champions to fight each other i picked gogo 13 and he picked what saber yep uh and gogo 13 would obviously win so uh and also asks this week gogo with a gun pointed at you choose to lose sex or violence in anime like like you know anime has no more sex or no more violence no more sex. I think anime's always done sex wrong. I think well, you were you've been defending 2D sex this whole time, but I 100% agree. Violence in anime <laughs> way better. Just like lose the sex, I don't need it. Okay, so I'm getting rid of all the violence, obviously. What? <laughs> there's no more violence ever allowed anymore. I think there's just there's So just if you keep all it. the sex, if you keep all the sex, you get K on. If you keep all the violence, you get Gogo 13. <laughs> He's got like an equal dose of both. You get Dragon Ball Z. You probably just get like Violence Jack or something like that. No, well, no Violence Jack it. also has a lot of sex and it's actually like <laughs> the worst sex. It's got like it's it's super rapey and awful. Well, at that point, at that point, it's just violence. Yeah, it's, that's, that's like that's not even. And as a, the true answer is that anime's best when you combine both of them. That's yeah, that's, that's kind of, of the answer. Uh, unless your name is Violence Jack. Yeah, Violence Jack, uh, avoid at all costs. I mean, the first episode's funny, and then the the other one is just, like, the second and I think third episode are just the worst. Don't even get close to them. Uh, okay, okay, that's it for this very long show. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us at podcast at com if you want to ask us a question. You can send that anytime, like, just whatever questions you got on your mind. We also send out... Uh, calls for questions on twitter usually like a little more topical like you know we say that what we're going to talk about and then ask for questions there so i am on twitter at sign vamptvo v-a-m-p-t-v-o i'm at sign qx20xx yep josh dunham josh underscore dunham original and uh the anti gamers account is anti gamers one word on twitter and uh you know what i'm gonna add this time because why not it got kind of popular recently follow me on mastodon which is in a new decentralized mastodon. social network that may or may not actually like disappear uh it's, it's doing okay though so that's uh my account on there is is vamptvo same thing at mastodon.social uh i will not get into all the details about how mastodon works but go google it if you're interested or if you're already on there follow me there uh and you can check more information out about the podcast on anygamers.com slash podcast that's where we've got all our show notes and comment threads and links and cool stuff like that uh and you can check out more information about old talk we know radio there that is our uh sort of sideshow that ink and uh well sideshow makes them sound really bad it's a parallel show <laughs> that ink and uh and and jared uh host oh. on anti-gamers <laughs> i'm being really mean by accident this episode to everybody uh and you can subscribe to us on itunes stitcher and google music and read our articles on antigamers.com. Yes. That is the blog where we yeah. type letters into the computer and then you can read them. David, you wrote reviews yeah. of all three Kizumonogatari movies. Yeah, I bared my soul for those things, so you better read them. Yeah, go read those. Uh, they're really good. And I wrote a review of Your Name, of Kimi no Nawa, which was uh, 
So technically it was still a positive review, but it was one of those things where it's like not as positive as everybody else's opinions of it. So I was kind of worried I'd get that, a lot of blowback for yeah, it, but I kind of didn't. That's going to be a, that's a subject for another podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but please check that out. Uh, that's a movie I had a lot of really complicated thoughts about. And so it, it took me a while to sort of uh, coalesce them all together into that review. Uh, and as for you, Josh, you are also uh, also everywhere. doing a lot of writing Kind of, sort of, yeah. So Wave Motion Cannon's name of site. Please go check it out. There's a lot of things. I don't want to get into all the little itsy-bitsy things that we're doing. It's just constantly. We got inter- We have one-on-one interviews being translated. Uh, we have actual live interviews that I've been working with to try and get different animators to talk about their craft and that sort of thing. We have podcasts. We have, you know, analytical writings on different you know, from sakuga to fandom conundrums to like you just we're, we're trying to really be all inclusive again if if this is something that interests you please go check it out recently we got our podcast review of your name up there and actually it was a negative uh review is what i heard Ooh. i haven't had a chance to listen to the episode it just went up this monday mm. um we recently got an yeah. interview with uh, a chinese animator who worked on boruto uh, that's that's great. Part two coming out later this week. Um, just tons of stuff. We got uh, translations, everything like yeah, just a lot of stuff. I, you know, <laughs> we have tons, yeah, tons of keys. You guys do tons good work. Of yeah. uh, freaking um, Akuki Shimbo stuff on there. If that's interesting to you, browse around the site and the translations. It's all there. Um, I just really appreciate yeah, if anyone checks that out. Listen. And if you're interested, like yeah. apply, please. We would love people to apply. Uh, so like. You know, we're talking about casting shade. I'll, I'll be real. A lot of anime blogs, pretty bad. Wave Motion Canon is good. It gets like the Evan seal of approval. <laughs> I really like the work you guys oh. do. Whew. Whew. I'm putting that up there. It's like 2017 yeah. Evan seal of approval one year in a row. We got we to gotta, <laughs> design that seal now. That's right. That's right. Uh, and I'm writing for Otaku USA Magazine. As usual, I don't remember what the last thing I wrote about was, but go go check out the articles in the magazine. It's a it's a pretty cool magazine. David, nothing new on your blog yeah, yet, but I you're still working on I it. I haven't done a, uh, anything new on that thing because I've been busy with the stupid uh, stupid game, which right. Should, David's uh, making a game out anytime anytime soon. As soon as it gets finished, right? <laughs> yeah. And, but your blog is qx20xx.tumblr.com. Yep. So everybody should go check that out. And I will be at Fanime and then Anime Next after that, running a bunch of panels at uh, definitely at Fanime and, and probably at Anime Next. I haven't gotten them approved yet. Uh, but come check me out there at Fanime. Oh, boy, can I remember all the panels that I'm doing? Uh, I'm definitely doing Anime Burger Time, Science in Anime. I think I'm doing How Anime Gets Made possibly the rise of cg anime i don't remember it's a bunch a bunch of panels like five different panels uh come check me out there fanime's in san jose california that's it for the show thanks for coming on josh this is really cool thank you for having me it's been dream come true sorry about the time but uh no, man no, thank, it's not your fault thank you for, for actually providing some uh, some decent exchanges here about uh, the monogatari series <laughs> i don't really get i don't get a lot of that in and my life. with that the salt and shade podcast casting, casting internal shade excellent <laughs> Goodbye. Later. Peace out. I was asking if you just want to do the transition into the Kizu segment. What do you mean? Just from the from the last segment. Just oh, like, oh and we're gonna and here now we're gonna talk about Kizu and then pass it to Josh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought we were recording for real.
Damn, no. that was a fake recording. Um, yeah, you kind of just took the the uh, the air from under my wings. Now I don't know what we were last talking about. Fate Grand Order. What about Fate Grand Order? We don't have whatever you don't. You can just do a hard. It seems transition. pretty hard. Hard transition now. <laughs> Uh, okay, so hard transition into Keys of Monogatari Part 3. Uh, this is Ray Ketsu. To literally state the word, right? hard transition does not get any harder. Holy hell. Word for word. God damn it. This is the hardest transition we've done. Alright, do you just want me to do it? You think you can I'll top that? Uh, that's that's going to be the stinger. <laughs> it's not going to be the actual transition.